Let's take our Bibles, and we're going to continue what we began last week, continuing our Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 2 will be on the screen, and that is just a, um, that is just a theme verse that we're going to use as we continue in a message that we began uh, last Sunday. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. hope you brought your Bibles or brought uh, your tablets or however you uh, look at the Scriptures. You'll be much more engaged if you walk through uh, with us and look up Scriptures and know where they are. But for convenience, many of these will be on the screen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Paul writes... For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit our preaching, our teaching, our way that we ministered among you. It wasn't in error or deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. It's that last part of that verse that we just kind of sprang on last week, talking about And the title of the message is, Am I a People Pleaser or a God Pleaser? Now, immediately you think, well, those shouldn't be mutually exclusive. I mean, uh, we have a natural biblical, you know, to encourage and please one another and please people, and certainly we want to please God. But I'm not really using people pleaser in that normal, healthy sense. Uh, In the Bible, it often refers to what what we talked about as the fear of man. Not the fear of men. That's a different sermon, ladies. But the fear, that was a little humor. You can smile through your mask. But the, the fear of man. In other words, it's the intimidation and, and, uh, of people to where we uh, are, 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 are being controlled by a tendency of whether this person likes me, whether this person accepts me, that, that people, that my, my life is being controlled not by a desire as a Christian to love and serve God, but it's controlled by what, what, what everybody is thinking about me or, or what, they, what they can get for me. And so I'm consumed and controlled by people instead of being controlled by God. And so some of this, and a lot of this, really uh, was uh, fostered by a book that I said I was going to order some copies, and I quoted some of this, and I highly recommend it. We have some copies. Lisa Baker will be over here on this side in this corner, and if you uh, wrote down that you wanted one of these, uh, we have those and have some extras. And the title of the book is called When People Are Big and God is Small. This is not Dr. Phil, or this was not on Oprah's book club, okay? Uh, This is a biblical study, a a book uh, written by an author who is very astute in uh, Scripture and Christian counseling. But again, it's not a counseling book. And the subtitle is Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear 
of man. You ever wonder what the fear of God is? Well, he really shows you the biblical understanding of what the fear of God is and how a fear of man and how being controlled by people's opinions and thoughts uh, affect our lives even as Christians. So this may be one of the most important books, obviously, besides the Bible. You know, you always have to clarify that, right? You always have to say that. Kind of like, now don't tell anybody. Like, who am I going to tell? We always feel like we got to say things like that. So I'm just saying, I'm not putting this above the Bible. It's not that great, but it is very helpful, and it may be helpful to you and may be helpful to somebody that you know. And uh, so I hope that you will consider that. So that's kind of where my thoughts were. Proverbs 29, 20, uh, verse 25 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. And so we don't want to be guided by an Im, uh, a, a, a misplaced uh, desire. And that's what we're talking about. You know, money, we said this last week, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing, but I'm just trying to, some of you weren't here. Money is not evil in and of itself, is it? But it becomes unhealthy. It becomes evil when there is a love of money. So pleasing people is not wrong in and of itself, but when it becomes something that controls us, then it becomes this misplaced desire, and uh, that's, that's what we're talking about. It is this, this compulsion that instead of looking to Christ to fulfill our needs, that Christ has everything that we need, our acceptance, our identity in Christ, instead of looking to him, we are looking to others and are being controlled by that. So that was what we spent last week in some detail, and last week we talked about the profile of a people pleaser, and we looked at five characteristics, and you can go online, and uh, some of you don't know that our Sunday messages, you can get those in podcasts on uh, the Apple podcasts or on the Google uh, Android uh, uh, podcasts where those are made available, or you can just go to our website and listen to last week's and, and that uh, as we did that study last week. One scripture I didn't share last week, but I thought it was really good as we transition to the second part of the message today, is in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 in the New Living Translation said, This is what the Lord says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord, and look at this, and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. Remember, this this is just an illustration of those who put their confidence and trust in the Lord. And I thought that was a great scripture as we transition to the second thing, and we didn't cover this last week, and I'm going to do it real quick because we want to get to the final part. 
And that is, the we looked at the profile of a people pleaser, but also there's the prison of being a people pleaser. What do we mean by the prison of being a people pleaser? In other words, anything that controls you, anything that controls you can be a source of bondage, right? Anything that controls you can be a source of bondage and control. Look at 2 Peter 2.19. Peter says, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. You are a slave to whatever controls you. Romans 6, verses 16 through 18. Are we having some issues up there? There we go. Very good. Uh, Romans 6, 16 through 18. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Now, he's writing to Christians, once you were slaves of sin, you were slaves of sin, he says to the believer, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given to you, the Word of God. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to what? To righteous living. Isn't that great? So in other words, that this controlling thing of always looking and a compulsion to look to others, that, that they have something, and therefore I'm going to posture my behavior and my thoughts and my action always and never doing anything that would threaten what I perceive this person or persons can do for me or give to me. That becomes, it's like I have a handle on my back. It's like I have a handle on my back and therefore, I'm just being manipulated and controlled by all of these obsessions of what people are doing or what they're not doing and how I perceive those things. You know, the interesting thing is that control, most of the time that people who do that into our lives, they're not even aware of it. Why? Because we give them the power to control us. Do you hear what I'm saying? We give them the power to control us Ed Welch, who's the author of that book I recommended, this is the only quote I have, but I thought it was helpful. Whatever you think you need will control you. If you need something from other people, love, acceptance, approval, they hold the keys to something valuable to you. You listening? You will live in fear that they may not deliver. You will fear those who are the gatekeepers to the fulfillment of your needs. You see, God satisfies our life. And he is the only one that we submit control as Lord of our life. Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom in Christ to serve one another in love. That's how we're to operate in our freedom. That's how we're to use this freedom. So this, 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 this tendency and this controlling thing that what people think, how they're going to judge me. They didn't smile at me when I walked in the door. They must be angry at me. 
Now, don't say you never thought stuff like that. Now, some of you just live in a, you don't care, and we were. Well, they didn't look at me. They didn't greet me. Therefore, I must have done something. And you worry about it all day long. You worry about it into the week. Oh, what did I do? What did I do? What did I offend them about? And that just controls you. It's a consumption. And that's what God wants to free us up for. Now, we want to end this message. We looked at that profile of a people pleaser, how it becomes like a prison. But we want to end on this final thought. But we want to look at, thirdly, the third section of this message, and that is the practice, the practice of a people pleaser. Last week, we looked at five characteristics negatively of the person who's controlled by the fear of man, people. We looked at five characteristics, and this morning, we want to look at five characteristics of a God pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser, don't you? I want my life to live in, in pleasing God. That, that should be the desire of a person who's born again, who's a Christian. They want to live with a heart that pleases the one who saved them, the one that redeemed them. I want to live a life, I don't want anything in my life that God is not pleased with, and I need his spirit to work in me and to control me and to show me those things, teach me and all those in his word. And so that's what we want to talk about, the, the practice. How do we practice being a God-pleaser. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, therefore, I love this, therefore, we make it our aim. What are we aiming at? Therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 9, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's a good scripture you could write down, unless you, most of you got photographic memories, because I see that you just take it all in, right? But this is a good one to write down for some of you that don't. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. What is our aim? What is our goal? Our aim is to please God. That's the Christian's aim. That's our target. Now here, uh, as we talk about how do we please God, I love this. The, some of you are familiar with what is referred to as the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it is one of those Reformed confessions that has been so helpful uh, through the church. And all a catechism is, it refers to a question and answer way of learning uh, Bible doctrine. And historically, before there were uh, Bibles and there was books printed, the catechisms, uh, and there's different catechisms, different churches or whatever, uh, but the Westminster Shorter Catechism, if you're not familiar with it, you'll be familiar with the first question. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? What is, the what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What is the ultimate goal of our life? It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You know, some people leave out the enjoy part. If you get around some Christians, they've never heard that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You think, oh my goodness. They don't even know, you know, they're, they're, they're Christians, but they look like they're mad and angry at everybody all the time. They never smile when they talk about Christ. So the joy of the Lord, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God is pleased with my life. How? When I glorify Him. We talked about glory. Glorify Him. Let's look at these five characteristics and maybe... If they get that going, 
Uh, it'll be on the screen. If not, you just listen really good, okay? All right? I'll talk louder and you'll remember it easier, all right? All right, some of you, some of you not sure, all right? What are the five characteristics of a God pleaser? Okay, five characteristics. What does it look like? And these, uh, I just have five words, five words. In good Baptist fashion, they all begin with the same letter, all right? The first one is, and here's, here's the thing I want to say. How can I be a God pleaser? Here's a, here's a short, quick answer. You can't. You can't. You think, well, wait a minute. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? You got a whole message there, and you're telling me I can't? No, you can't. In and of yourself, you can't please God. It doesn't matter. Listen, you've got no points for coming to church today. And if you tipped God with a five or 5,000 or whatever, you know what? It doesn't, God, he's not checking little boxes off over your life. And people have this sense that if I work harder, if I strive harder, if I get more religious, that somehow that's going to tip the scales, and God's going to be more happy with me. Oh, I miss, I miss reading my Bible yesterday, so now he's mad at me. God is mad at me. Oh, today I came to church, and I read a scripture. I might even looked up a scripture Pastor Tim mentioned, so God's really happy with me, Lynette, today. And then tomorrow's Monday, and you know how Mondays, God's always angry at us on Mondays, right? And we just live that, why? Because we are not living as Christians, I'm talking to believers, we, we're, or really I should say, really for non-Christians, there's a mindset that if I just work harder, God will ple be pleased with my performance. Here's the bottom line. God is never pleased with your performance. There's only one performance by one person that he is pleased with, and that is the performance of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you are not in Christ... You cannot, will not, ever be pleasing to God. And so the first word is the word regeneration. A person cannot please God apart from being spiritually regenerated. Now you say, what is regeneration? In Titus 3 verse 5 we find the word in the New King James says, not by works of righteousness that we have done. There's that religious stuff. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. If you have a New International Version, it might use the word rebirth. That's a picture from something Jesus uh, 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 that's taught in John 3. Do you remember in John 3? A man by the name of Nicodemus came to Christ uh, at night. And he was a man who was a, a Pharisee. He was a very well-accomplished scholar in, as a rabbi, part of the Sanhedrin, which was the kind of the Jewish Supreme Court. He was a man of high honor and respect. And he came to Jesus at night because he really didn't want people seeing him during the day. But he came to Jesus at night, and there was something he was drawn to Jesus about. You remember he said, Jesus, it's obvious that nobody could do the works that you're doing and not be sent from God. I mean, my goodness, that's more than most of the people will give Jesus credit for, right? He acknowledges nobody could do these miracles unless they were sent by God. 
And Jesus said this. You remember when Jesus said that unless you are born again, that's that term, that's rebirth, that's regeneration. To regenerate something means that something generated at one time, but it's not generating right now. That's the human heart. The Bible says that we are dead, spiritually dead in our sins. Remember what uh, uh, Romans says that, uh, that we are, we are, we're dead in our sins. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And the very thing that we lack, here's the wonderful good news of the gospel. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Here's the good news of the gospel. What we lacked... What we could not do, God provided for us. God provided in Jesus Christ. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the gospel, listen, if you, if you sleep through anything else, don't sleep through this part. I know you're intoxicating yourself with those masks, so just pull it down your nose so you can have some air, all right? When Christ, remember what God's standard is? God's standard, God is holy, Isaiah 6. God is, God is a holy God. God is perfect. There's no flaws. There's no defects. So God's standard is perfect. And you probably got a little something on your coffee mug or a bumper sting to say, hey, nobody's perfect, right? You're right. Nobody's perfect. Only one was perfect. God is perfect. God is perfect. So his standard, God isn't great on the curve. God's standard is perfect. Well, that blows me out of the water. I can never attain to that. I can never do that. You're right. I can't. If you kept, quote, unquote, all the commandments, remember the rich young ruler? came to Jesus and said, hey, I want to be part of this deal. And Jesus said, have you kept all the commandments? And he said, yeah, I kept every one of them. Doesn't matter. Because there's only one perfect. And God sent his perfect son, the perfect God-man, to die on the cross. And he did this to take the punishment of sinners, those that have have fallen short of God's standard, which is all of us except Jesus. God sent his perfect son to take our sin, that through his death, through the death on the cross, that he gave sinful men and sinful women, gave us credit for his righteousness, that Jesus' death to those that will receive him and repent of their sin, that his righteousness was transferred to our massively, heavily debted account. We traded our sin, our unrighteousness, and we received his righteousness. Therefore, to stand before God, we do not stand as Christians now guilty before God. We stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God made him, his son Jesus as our substitute, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Remember, he's perfect. He never sinned. He never lied. He never cheated. Never committed adultery. Never dishonored his parents. He didn't break any command. He was perfect. 
And that's what it required, was the perfection of Christ. And when Jesus talked about being born again, being regenerated, that is the only way that we can be pleasing to God. If we are not regenerated, if we are not born again, if we are not pleasing, wrapped up and clothed in the righteousness of Christ, it doesn't matter what the other four points are to this message. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. We need to be born again. And that's where being pleasing to God begins. Ephesians 2 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. The second characteristic of a God-pleaser not just re, not regeneration. We can't do it unless Jesus intervenes in our life, saves us. Secondly is the word reliance. Regeneration, secondly, reliance. What do I mean by reliance? A God-pleaser has a reliance on the Scriptures to understand exactly what it takes to please God. You see, now that I'm born again... Now that I'm regenerated, now that I have a rebirth and I've been awakened alive now, dead, but now I'm alive to God, my desire now is to find out what it is that God wants in my life. And where do I get that? I get it in His Word. And so I have a desire, and, and, and I, would say, I would say most every Christian should have this testimony in some form or fashion that you have a desire now to read the Bible, to know what God says, to know what God wants for your life, to know what is pleasing to God. A person who delights in knowing God delights in seeking after God, to glorify God. And where do we get that? We get it in His Word. This person reads the Scriptures studies the Scriptures, memorizes the Scriptures, meditates on the Scriptures, runs to them when we have questions, we lack wisdom, we are in a crisis, what do we do? We go to the Word of God, we gain strength, because this is God's revealed will. You don't need to run around and find a prophet to tell you God's will. This is God's will right here. You want a fresh Word of God? Open your Bibles. There's people running all over trying to get a fresh Word. Give me a fresh Word. You know what? Here's a fresh word you can get every day, every hour. The psalmist says, Psalm 119, great scripture. If you want to just start somewhere, look at Psalm 119, longest psalm. It's all about the word of God. Oh, how I love your law. This is verse 97 through 100. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies. Talking about the Word of God, he uses law, testimonies, commandments. They are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. It's all the Word of God, the Word of God revealed. But there's a third practice and a characteristic of a God-pleaser and that's the word recognition. What do, you, what do we recognize? A God-pleaser has a recognition 
This is important. A God-pleaser has a recognition that every facet of their life is to be lived under the lordship of Christ. You see, a lot of Christians have, uh, and I, had, I got up at 6 o'clock and made a really great slide, and you're not going to see it. I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to tell you about it. It's real easy. You see, a lot of Christians have what I, what I call, maybe others, compartmentalized Christianity. What do you mean by that? It means if I had two boxes up here, I have my God box, and I got everything else box. And so today, you're putting stuff in your God box. You came to church, you brushed your teeth. Took a shower, most of you, you know, and you're, you're just, you're ready to go. You're, you're doing God stuff today. You're doing sacred stuff today. That's secular stuff over here. Well, that's what we do Monday through Saturday. Maybe sometimes we do it on Sunday, too, because we only come once a month anyway, you know, so why not throw three more Sundays in there, right? But, you know, God, I'm giving you, I'm giving you my time over here, at least few times a month, a little time, I, I might give, I might pray, I might read a Bible. That's, that's my God box. But this box over here doesn't have anything to do with this box. You see, this is where my job, my friends, my family, my hobbies, my entertainment, this is, this is that box. And I, I don't want to mix these boxes together because this stuff over here may not want to fit in this box over here. You see, that's what we talk about. We talk about the lordship of Christ. That Jesus is Lord of all of my life. All of my wants, all of my passions, all of my life isn't divided up in these couple little boxes that I keep neat and organized and I don't want to mix them up. No, it's one box, and it's the God box. It's my life lived under the lordship of Christ. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, when you think about the Old Testament, and there's portions of the Old Testament that were specifically written for the people of Israel, laws, and when you, you know, like Leviticus. I know it's one of those books you kind of glaze over when you're doing your Bible reading through the year. You're like, oh my goodness, get bogged down here. But you know what? Every word, Jesus said every jot, every tittle, the smallest little breath marks of the Hebrew language are all of God's word. So it must be there for a reason. Just because we can't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't have a reason or purpose. It requires sometimes a little digging. But I was thinking about this, that in Leviticus is one of those that is full of these laws that God gave the people of Israel in how they are to conduct their life. And if you look at some of these laws, there's really not any aspect of their life that God doesn't have something to say about that. I mean, God has got laws concerning marriage, children, money, commerce, health, food, dietary laws, government, clothing, education, worship, now, under the new covenant, we are not under those laws today. But here's the point that I think we need to remember. Remember, 
The Old Testament was written, the Bible says, for our benefit, right? So that means there's something. I think it's a reminder that we should, and an illustration of how God demonstrated through Israel and his people that there is not a single aspect of our existence that God is not interested in and being Lord over. From the moment we wake to the moment we sleep, and even in our sleep, He is Lord of my life. There's a fourth word, and that's the word realignment. Your car ever get out of alignment? What does it start doing? It starts shimmying, you know, shaking, you know, you're like, oh, the wheel, the car's out of alignment, you know. In other words, you need to set it in alignment to something that is a standard. And so there's a realignment. The person who is a God pleaser realigns now as a God pleaser, I realign my motives in how I please or serve people. We're not against serving people. Listen, some of you, there is no benefit to be being cantankerous and mean. That is not a virtue. Most people don't like that. And of course, I'm never cantankerous or mean, right? I'm just perfect and have a little halo above my head and, you know, just. And so we want to be pleasing. I mean, remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus said? Matthew 22. They said, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? The first and greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he said the second is like the first. It's connected. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, they're not mutually exclusive of whether I please God or please people. It's just that I need to have them in alignment. And instead of serving people for my gain of what I get out of them and how I use them, whether they understand it or not, now I am, I am now recreated. I'm born again. I'm rebirthed in Christ. And therefore now I desire to love and serve you because my first interest is to glorify God, and I glorify God by keeping his commandments. And the second commandment, Jesus said, is to love you. But I'm loving God first, and I'm getting in the right order. And so I love you. You know, there's the words, different Greek words for love. There's philos, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's friendship love. Eros, which is a sensual, sexual, erotic, all right? Never thought you'd hear that in church, right? All right, uh, that word, all right. Um, some of you, man, we, we're going to have to help you, all right? Man, I'm doing good without the visuals today. I'm trying to, you know, keep the, keep the going here. But listen, what is the word that is used in the Greek that refers to a selfless, sacrificial love? Agape, agape. Now I can love like Christ. You realize God is a giving God, for God so loved the world, he gave. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How do I love like Christ? How do I have this agape love? It's when things in my life are realigned and I'm pleasing to God and therefore I can glorify God and I love you because it's part of, my way, part of the way God has aligned things to glorify him because I love you and I do it with a sacrificial love. You see, a person who loves in agape fashion gives and loves without expect, expecting anything in return. That's much different than the way we do things, Right? Well, I, I bought their dinner. They didn't even say thank you. And then the next time we went out to eat, guess what? I bought it again. They let me do it again. I'm not going to do that again. Listen, that, that's, 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 that's not agape love. Now, does that mean i got to let people walk all over me and do that? No, 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 no. We're not talking about that. It just means, you know what? I'm Here, listen. It just means that because I've been freed in Christ, I can be free to love you like Christ as best as I can in this mortal body that I can love you freely and do it sacrificially and walk away and not expecting anything in return. That's only something God can do. And it's this, realiza- it, it's this, uh, it's this realignment now. And the last word is the word Realization. The last practice of a God-pleaser, realization. The God-pleaser has a realization. Don't fold anything up yet. Save the best for last. Actually, the best was the first one. but A realization, the God-pleaser has the realization that God is more concerned with what he sees in my heart than what... You see in my appearance. It's the realization, a God pleaser, it's the realization that God is more concerned with what he sees in my heart than what others see in my appearance. Why do most adults, or maybe many adults, fear when they gain a little extra weight? Well, sometimes it might be health, but... You know, mainly it's, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to think of me? I mean, this shirt, this whatever. You know, they're gonna, what are they going to think of me? Because we are, our culture, what? Our culture is obsessed with appearance. Is it not? I mean, what shoes we wear, what clothes we wear. Do you remember when you were in high school? Now I know some of you just didn't care. But for most of us, we were concerned that that little horse with the polo mallet was going in the right direction and not the other horse from another store that looked like a horse and an eagle or I don't know what it was. Because, you know, the Ralph Lauren polo shirt, people that, if I wore that, even though I got it at TJ Maxx, but if I wore that, then I was something. They knew because that was... Or, guys, remember in, in, uh, in sports, you didn't want to wear the Montgomery Ward sneakers. The stripe, I don't even know if they had a stripe. I mean, you know, you wanted the swoosh. You wanted the pumas. You wanted the 
Adidas. Because that showed that you're with it. We were terrorizing our parents for things that they could hardly afford. But, you know, that's because that was the status. And we think we got freed up from all of that when we got out of high school. But you know what? We didn't get freed up from it. Our toys just changed. From the car we drive to where we live to what club we went. Some people attend church based upon status. You know what glossophobia is? And that's not the fear of speaking in tongues. Glossophobia, it's one of the big fears people have, and that's the fear of speaking in public. People put that right up there with, you know, plane crashes. The fear, why? Because we are consumed by the opinions of other people, even if it's one of the scariest things on the planet of what people think. But listen, God is more concerned about what's going on in your heart than your appearance. Does that mean we shouldn't try to look the best we can with what we... Of course, I think there's wisdom in all that. But who are we? What are we? Who are we inside in that place that only God can see? You realize one of the attributes of God is God's omniscience. That's the all-knowingness of God. There's not, a, there's not a crevice in our life that God is not aware of. He sees everything. You remember what in the search for a king, 1 Samuel 16, 7, you see, when Israel had a choice of picking a king, they picked the guy that made the cover of the Hebrew Times, the sexiest man alive, named Saul. He was the one they wanted as a king. He was tall, handsome, big, rugged, had a great resume. I mean, because he represented all of what they were not. How did that work out? Didn't work out. Disaster. God had a shepherd kid in fact, when Samuel came on the scene, they didn't even bother to bring him out with the other brothers because they're like, certainly he doesn't have anything to do with this. He, he'll, he can't be a king. You know why he was chosen a king by God? Because of what the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature. <laughs> for the Lord does not see as a man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the... What are the motives of my heart? You see, the realization means that not only am I depending on God's grace to save me, His forgiveness, but I'm relying on this undeserved supernatural grace of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in me now as one who is born again. We call that the work of sanctification to make me more like Christ in my everyday life. And that means all of a sudden now, my heart, God is wanting to put that in sync with his heart. Do I have a heart after God? Because you know what? For a while, I and you, we can fake it with each other pretty good, right? And sometimes when we hear of people and unfortunately, sometimes we hear more people that are known for their Christian expression, and then we hear of something happening in their life, 
we're shocked. But should we be? Are we really should be that shocked? You know why I'm not always shocked? Because I know my own heart. I am not sinless except that I am perfectly sinless only in Christ. But in this life right now, I deal with sin every day. Other times I'm hypocritical. Yeah. I'm ready to judge somebody for something I'm guilty of. At least in my heart I'm guilty of it. And God says, but you do the same thing. You have the same thing. You, you, you're, you're wanting perfection in everybody else, but you yourself, you give yourself a pass. You see, God is willing to put his finger, and that's why some people avoid the word of God. That's why some people avoid a church, and even why intimate worship makes people uncomfortable. You know why? Because it's a little too close to God for comfort. I'm okay with staying back and singing about God, don't get me too close to sing to God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because God's after our heart. And God is willing, remember when I talk about, talked several weeks back on brokenness? God is willing to break us if it means that that's the only way He can get to our heart. We don't have to have it that way. Last thought, and we'll close. Luke 2.52. Jesus is our great example. In Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Do you see the order there? With God and man. The Son of God grew in wisdom, pleasing God first, and then pleasing others was secondary after pleasing God. 